Podcast. Hold on to your butts. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Westcott demands. Now this affects Iris. Um, Iris, where are you? What you feel only matters to you. I do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. Iris, I have a tip for you. Don't take drugs! Or Whatever Movies with Wesley and Iris. What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I'm your co-host, Iris, and I'm here with my older brother. Wesley. And today we're talking a movie from 2023? Uh, more. I think it was more 1944. Awards contender, non-English language film competitor, Zone of Interest. You know what Zone of Interest makes me think about? R- hot real estate markets on Redfin? What does it make you think of? Super mundane stuff like, are you a toilet paper folder or crumpler? And do you do you sneeze more loudly when you're alone? I don't know if that's disrespectful. I hope it's not. But the zone of interest creates its tension by contrasting the mundanity of life with the horrors that are happening on the other side of that compound wall. I think I understood what this movie about. It's another one of those damned message movies for this year. But really, this poor family is hounded day and night by noisy neighbors. He's forced to move from a job that he loves, and he's concerned about the the repercussions, the effect that will have on his family. They're just trying to sunbathe and swim, and the, the neighbors are polluting the river and stuff. He's having an innocent affair or whatever, and he's just trying to live his life. Why you gotta be down on Fritz? It's kind of like that Seth Rogen, Rose Byrne comedy. Neighbors? Yeah, isn't that called Neighbors? Yeah. So this is like the dramatic version? Sure. So you really felt for Fritz and fam? Well, I called him Fritz von Eric after the Iron Claw. His real name is Rudy. <laughs> Rudy. No, I didn't feel. I hated Rudy and his, I'm proud to say, hated them from the very, very start. Like the first frame? Like him overlooking the the river in his speedo? Three minutes and 55 seconds of that terrible title card? I was like, F this movie. You didn't fast forward through that? Nope. I I know. We just let it go. And I was like, this has been going on entirely too long. And Kelly Ray was like, maybe something is wrong. Like, is it frozen? Yes. It's like, and like the thing is frozen and it's just playing, (laughs) repeating the same note. And then when we get there and it's, you know, like a serene lakeside scene or whatever, I was like, okay, we endured all that. You have to make something happen. And by the end of that first scene, the the open, I was praying for werewolves because I I had no idea what was happening, (laughs) but I hated the Haas family from the get. So obviously you're aware that Sandra Huller plays in both Zone of Interest and Anatomy of a Fall. I am aware. Maybe just because she's tall and blonde, like the stern Kate Blanchett type. But she's working that resting bitch face for every penny it's worth. Like hmm. she's gonna she's gonna inhabit these roles that are quiet and reserved and unlikable. She, oh, come on, she wasn't unlikable in Anatomy of well, a Fall. Well, was she unlikable here? Did you, what did she Okay, I I'm I'll go so far as to say the only violence actually in this movie was her threatening the staff, the cook, right? When she says my husband can murder you? What did she say? Something like that. What else happened in this movie that was violent? Uh, well, I mean, there's a lot of audible violence, imaginary violence. Imaginary. That's the word you're going with? 
because I tried to come up with the uh, the descriptor for that too. I came up with suggested. But that violence is in no way suggested or imaginary. Was it implied? Was it Holocaust adjacent? Like I thought back to all of those contemplative scenes, like in the beginning, for example, when he's looking out over the river without knowing what the story was about. I'm like, he's just enjoying nature. He's contemplating the wonders of the world. When does he get to kayak on that river? But looking back, I kind of wonder... If he's processing his conscience, if he's actually mulling over the evils that he and his team are perpetrating on the Jewish people. So I felt like there was something going on with him, whereas Sandra is completely compartmentalized. Yep, fur coat. Lipstick, gardens, the flower, the baby with the flowers. And it's like, wow, she's in another place. And so for her, I wouldn't say it's imaginary. I wouldn't say it's implied. It's non-existent. So you don't think there was ever like a take your daughter to work day or take your wife to work for Rudy (laughs) and co? I mean, so obviously she's aware. She's not oblivious. She's just compartmentalized. Well, I guess the only sign that she's not oblivious is the threat when she says, I'm going to have, you know, I could have my husband spread your ashes. And she's pissed because the breakfast is there. The, The breakfast that the staff leaves out for her mom, who's vacated the premises. So her mom comes to visit and she's like, good on you, girl. You really made it in life. And then her mom slowly starts to really understand what's happening on the other side of the wall. And she can't sleep. And she's looking out the window. And then she makes her bed and pieces out without a word because she can't handle it. That's what I read into it. And then the staff leaves breakfast out for the mom, even though the mom's already left. And it's clear that she has. And Hedwig's like pissed about it. Right? I'm not so sure that I interpreted it on that level because we I took what it gave me initially, which was surface, and I could read between the lines, but only what was happening over the garden wall. We we were seeing him get a kayak and there was washing the blood off the boat and, and the, the diamond and the toothpaste and stuff. But subtextually <laughs> It, it really, I, I suppose, depends on your level of immersion. And yeah, so that's that's interesting and really cool. About no, the mom and stuff? No, your interest and your assessment of the events is interesting and cool, not the events. You mean why? Because I was actually able to make some sense. Well, you're extrapolating. The dom- <clears throat> domesticity. The point, right. The domesticity of this movie and why we're focused over here when the real stuff, so to speak, is over there, you know? But is it somehow more horrifying to create your own visuals to the audio cues that they give you of what's happening? I'm going to say yes and no, because I called this movie Still Life with Nazis. And a lot of the surf- the reviews have been like, this is the most boring movie ever. And if you don't, if you were to watch this like mom and dad on mute with no subtitles or if it wasn't descriptive audio, nothing. You're not going to get anything. Here's my comparison. Because we can talk about her because she's never going to watch this movie. The Nazis were like the sneak and snot. Your girl, the sneak, is petrified of snot. She can't look at it. And I've questioned, how did she make it to adulthood being completely intolerant of snot? She's a human being who forms snot on a regular basis. But she can't even hear the word. Even saying the word triggers her. And so... 
all of this violence that we're talking about, all the horrors and atrocities that we only know from film reels, from other movies, from Wikipedia, possibly for some of us family stories. And if you're the sneak and you're dealing with this movie and the atrocities of the Holocaust or the snot, you don't have to see anything to be completely put off. Kelly Ray said, and I quote, at the end of this movie, that was the worst movie we've seen so far. Wow. And this is after Anatomy of a Fall and Poor Things, which I'm not saying were bad, but were definitely challenging. So this movie is challenging to certain people because nothing happens. It's all implied. The worst we get is her threatening the cook, the kids playing with some teeth and with some ambiguous pollutant in the river. And we all know what's happening. And I was watching it with some level of abject fascination and, and I have to say some removal. But if you you're the sneak and this movie is not, you're going to have a hard time. And in that case, a lot of stuff, horrific stuff happens. And so I think it's polarizing in that way. This is, I, I was joking about it before, but it is certainly a message movie. The starkness and the sort, sort of cold technical feel of the execution of this movie made it feel like something you would see at the California Science Center, like an IMAX movie, or the Holocaust Museum movie that plays on a loop. But when Rudy has his glimpse, his his image, his projection, and all of a sudden we're in the modern day and all the ladies are prepping the Holocaust, the site, it's not, not a museum. Is Auschwitz a museum or is it simply a destination, an information destination to seem like a tourist, yeah. tourist trap? It's seems... like a site of historical importance. In seeing that, it was almost as though the site of Auschwitz was like, you know what, we got to make a movie. And the movie was as quiet and non-threatening and clean and polished as the camp itself. As a sanitized and heavily scrubbed camp. Right. And so that's how I interpreted it, almost as the agenda of this movie. I don't, I don't mean that in a disrespectful or aggressive way. It seemed to me very clear. Like, it's, it's, it's an ordinary Thursday for you. But still, you cannot deny the, the atrocities that are happening here, by extension, the atrocities that are happening there in that movie while these people are going about their everyday lives. Now, if Sandra Huller could could turn a blind eye, she was at least aware. Rudy, uh, you know, talking about his conscience and what he was, if he was contemplating his feelings of guilt, he was actively, it wasn't just like he lived next door. He was the commander, custodian of the camp for years. Yeah. He was going over there on horseback and coming back. And he was talking on camera about the efficiency of the incinerator units and how best to do it and not regarding those people as people at all. There were numbers. How many can we kill all at once and efficiently with the, you know, and then the gas moves through here and like that. And you're like, wow. Yeah. I mean, and that's in his when he's in work mode. But we have we don't know what he's thinking when he's looking out over the river or he's sitting on it at his desk or when he's pacing the halls in his jackboots or he's or he's throwing up in the stairwell. There was another movie in the film festival 10 years ago, probably now called The Act of Killing that was similarly slow and really was the accountability for dictators who are who are responsible for mass atrocities or genocides. And and, and it comes to a similar resolve. They're quiet in the face. It's almost like they're at the Nuremberg trials. They're having the horrors that they perpetrated recounted for them. And then spoiler, because I'm not sure who's going to see the act of killing. 
killing, the dude suddenly pukes on camera. And it's like all that is built up, which is what I personally think happened to Rudy, that he saw a glimpse that he projected that maybe he didn't understand the museum or whatever, you know, like the rock is a tourist attraction that, that Wait, Auschwitz. What do you mean he saw it? Are you saying that that cut to the the current day heritage site where the cleaners are scrubbing the windows and yeah. you know tidying the pile of shoes or whatever are you saying that that was his like projection that he was seeing into the future that was my interpretation not like a time travel kind of way or like it, it was like we're imposing the morality this movie is imposing the morality on that character where he stops on the stairs looks up kind of or looks down that weird dark hallway on that level it's like wherever he was coming from that floor was like purgatory and he glances down the dark hallway and then all of a sudden we cut and we're we're trying to understand what what's happening and we see an extended montage of them preparing the site for to receive daily visitors and then he snaps back and i think he pukes after that i think he just like a goose walked over his grave that he called a glimpse of this moment is not going to be forgotten in history and then he heads down the stairs into oblivion into hell or whatever however you want to interpret the symbolism of the final shot of rudy going down the stairs into the darkness yeah it's like he's haunted by ghosts of the future who are essentially right. escorting him into his hades yeah did he see the vision i don't think so but he felt for a moment the gravity in his place in history, I think. Hmm. And the only way that he could deal with it in the moment was to purge it and keep going. Even if he's not aware, subconsciously, these things have to be weighing on him. You can't have a family and have people that you care about that you would want to save from death or from harm. You can't completely shut off other human beings because they're not related to you or look different from you or have different cultural practices or, 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 or blood, you know? So you're saying there is a, a modicum of humanity left in this person, just severely compartmentalized. And I can joke and say that this movie was boring or about nothing and the dude's just trying to live his life. But of course, there are atrocities in the background and I feel it and it's affecting. The question is how affecting and is it appropriately affecting for this movie to be made? I would have said that this movie was fearless in its execution because it doesn't really turn a blind eye to the dismissal or the denial or the ignorance of what's happening mere steps from their house in their idyllic garden. I know that Rudy's accountable. I know that Sandra knows what's happening. Uh, 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 what was her name? Hedwig. <laughs> but the kids, when they're messing around and the kid locks his brother in the greenhouse, as I've done to you a million times, where you, you lock your siblings and stuff. Was he locking his sibling in the gas chamber? Oh, uh... Because that's what Kelly Ray said. And I was just like, that's what brothers do, dude. <laughs> it's true, but I don't think you ever gassed me. Uh, but she she said he made the hissing sound as to suggest turning on the gas. See, and that's the thing. Maybe that was, an in that was intentional. But is it because there's so little else to hold on to that we're making these things up about the zone of interest? Okay, so now we're going to segue into a series of questions. Go and you got to be honest, because this is your Nuremberg trial. Rudy Haas, by the way, a real person who was, in fact, the the uh, president, <laughs> the, the, oh the I don't know what we're calling him. He's the bad guy of, of Auschwitz, right. <laughs> and he was on trial. 
and he voiced it with a curious level of detachment. He wasn't aware of his responsibility for guilt. It's not that he didn't understand what was going on, but he said they happened on my watch or whatever. He was more of a bureaucrat and oversaw these things, but never held a gun to anyone's head that I'm aware. And he said, it was my job. Like it, I, I was made to do it. But of course, what, what else are you going to say on trial at Nuremberg? But he was hanged for his crimes. Younger than I am now was hanged. <sighs> on that note, let's kick off this interview with Iris in the hot seat. Um, okay. Let's make a pie chart for Rudy. And that pie chart is why he deserved to die. How much of the pie chart of Rudy deserving to die is that haircut? <laughs> it's very severe. You have to like straight razor that every day to get that effect. Yep. And that's detestable in and of itself. It's vanity. He des he deserves to be hung for vanity. I'm going to just go non-committal and say 50%. <laughs> just just based on the hair. Whatever gets him <laughs> killed, right? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. On the surface, is Rudy that detestable? Well, look, this next Planet of the Apes film, I think the apes are fully at a human level of intellect. But if the Planet of the Apes apes ever made a movie about me, like I am the perpetrator of an animal holocaust on the regular. And do I disassociate and eat meat left, right, and center without concern for how these animals are slaughtered or raised for slaughtered? I am the commandant yes. of the Auschwitz of animals. <laughs> So, first of all, poster quote. Second of all, yes, this was my exact line of thinking after watching this unadventurist. Am I supposed to hate myself for the ills and the evils that I perpetrate daily in life? For the exhaust that I create? Actually, I have an electric car. But for the <laughs> emissions <laughs> that I otherwise put into the world by, yes, eating meat, not getting involved or activated about the war in Israel and Palestine, like for not standing up for every injustice in the world. Like, am I a bad person? That was my takeaway from the zone of interest. And maybe some people would say yes. The question of how much, like, are Fritz's, they lost their dad. Oh, not Fritz. <laughs> Is, are Rudy's kids oh accountable? <laughs> they literally grew up in a world where the skies at all times were polluted by human remains. It, it always cast a pallor over their household. They were playing with teeth and fillings and locking each other in the gas chamber. And that, with the innocence of childhood, doesn't have anything to do with what's actually happening next door. Um, you know, or their dad has a gun. He rides on, on horseback to go to the camp and stuff. And they see all that and it's just subconsciously, unconsciously incorporated into their everyday existence. I don't think they're accountable. I don't think you're accountable. Of course, as a conscientious adult human, you can feel a certain way. But I do think this movie was trying to poke at that complacency in all of us, I guess. Hmm. It's dangerous. And like I said, I would have said that this movie was fearless, but the director and the stars, they talked about being fearful all the time. This was an uncertain process and they weren't sure how it could be received. Like we talked about how American History X could be like neo-Nazis favorite movies. Right. Like maybe the Nazis love this movie. Oh, they were definitely taking a risk. And in doing so, they had to be very careful not to be egregious with the, they, they didn't want to recreate the atrocities. They were implying them. They didn't want to show the brutality 
because of the position this, that this movie is is trying to maintain. But what is unsettling about the filmmaking process is that they set this up like a reality TV shoot. They had cameras mounted in every room and camera people, you know, operating for all the handheld stuff. But there were cameras everywhere and they never knew what shot they were going to take at any given time. So they're kind of always on and forced to always be in character and that that itself had this kind of prisoner effect, like a captive effect on them, like they had that they had to always be on. I did hear that. 30 mics, five to 10 cameras for any given scene throughout the house. Uh, It's a lot because they were unable to prepare in the way that actors would typically do. I have to assume not ever having been. That's not true. I was a a restaurant worker in a short film once. Uh, I threw a bucket of water on a dude. But I don't know about the acting process, except to say that you prepare for being received by the camera. They're going to get this angle of you from here, and they didn't know what they were going to use. So they basically had to embody and inhabit this house, embody these characters, and which is fortunate because this movie was just about humans being human, uh, you know, next door to inhuman shit happening. Pretty good summation. Yeah, it's scary to downplay it. I mean, how many people are left alive who would be like, son, that's serious business you're talking about? Of course it was. But we're viewing this movie as entertainment, at least as far as I'm concerned. The rumbling of the ovens was never not present. Before we knew, like those kids who were oblivious, before we knew what the rumbling noise was, we understood. Until you can see grandma looking outside at the smokestack of that thing going at 110%. And the whistles of the trains that are coming and going, presumably bringing the people to what is essentially the slaughter and then going away empty and then coming back again. It's all there if you care to tune into it. Yep. Were they fertilizing their garden with the ashes of the Jewish? Yeah, but they. why did they do it just in that one section? That's where they're planting. The rest of it was for That was where their hedge maze was going to be. The rest of it was for strolling. Yes, they were pretty rough, dude. But I don't know what's more rough. Is it more rough for them to fertilize their garden with the ashes and remains of other human beings? Or for her to be like, that's a dahlia. Oh, it's so beautiful. And this right here, that's a peony. And like go through and like be trying to edify her daughter with beauty and like attention. This is not. So they were forced to be there. Uh, I cannot recall in their little uh, conversation on the dock, she was resistant to the idea. He didn't want to leave. Wait, what? No, I think it's the other way around. She's the one that wanted to stay. Yeah, she was like, we built this. It was nothing before we came. And then we've built it into this beautiful oasis. And our kids are happy. And we, what we are living out is the German dream. The dream uh, that she had always set out for herself to achieve. And that Hitler had set for the Germans, the Aryans in the East. And so we can, it's safe to say that we weren't me- really meant to sympathize with this family, but I was referring to the kids and the idea that she, that it's continual, that it's all around her, that her house smells like a barbecue every day, all day, every day. That you're just like, no, look at the flowers, children. Don't certainly don't look over the garden wall and ignore those gunshots and screams and the rumbling of the ovens. Either she was so traumatized and subconsciously that she shut it off or she just compartmentalized for her children and she still saw the beauty in all the horrificness that was her psyche. So to play devil's advocate, 
what's to say that Hedwig Haas is not just pure evil? I think the point of the movie is examining the capacity for evil in all of us, how much we're willing to tolerate if we're not the direct perpetrators of said evil. Uh, Her role was complacency to his commandant. She definitely was evil, but (sighs) the routineness of everyday evil, almost every day, there's a mass shooting somewhere. But I don't even read the articles anymore. You have to in order to survive. You can't feel you're going to be an unhappy person. Do we deserve to be unhappy people in this terrible world? Maybe not. An undeniably human movie, but humanity does not mean good. Not synonymous with morality, because while I do think the kids were, for the most part, innocent, I'm sure Sandra, what's her name, Hedwig, believes herself a moral person. That she is, because of her nationality and her her genetics, superior to all the people she would talk down to given the opportunity. In this case, only the household staff, because it's not really safe, I don't think, to go hanging out around socializing in town. And I don't think it was evil, but it was an unflinching portrayal of the evil of humanity, whether directly involved and obvious or just conditional that that's a part of their lives, a small part of their lives that's undeniable. I mean, unflinching in the sense that we never see it. Well, because I don't think we could. I don't think presenting this movie as it was, it's already enough that it's like the sneak and it's not, and that Kelly Ray had a visceral reaction to this movie. The imagination is strong, and it was it's not lost on me, but it uh, there are definitely two approaches to this movie. I think you said it best that the Zen of Interest is essentially Jonathan Glazer's fruit bowl. Still life with Nazis. And he's standing there at the art exhibit being like, yeah, but outside of this fruit bowl is the concentration camp and there's all these atrocities happening, but watch the fruit bowl. It's like the fruit bowl where he's just. (laughs) It's like David Lynch's fruit bowl where it's full of bugs under the surface. Yes. Or what's, where's the other fruit bowl that's like going bad? Oh, 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 in Lost Daughter. (laughs) Where she like goes to grab the fruit and it's all rotten. Oh, right. Yeah. Suggesting her own rottenness is under the surface. Yes. And so part of me is like, if you want to send a message, use Western Union. But then part of me is like, there's artistic merit here. And it's certainly a different way to tell a quote unquote Holocaust story. The zone of interest is polarizing for me internally. I don't think it's a bad movie. I think I get what it was going for. And it was compelling in its in the tension that it maintained for its full hour and forty one and one forty five, and then I kind of come to I just didn't like it, but maybe we weren't supposed to like it. Nobody, I don't think, should like the themes, but the execution was interesting and worth talking about, and there was enough that was ambiguous that we found disagreements when we talked about what the intention was, and that all that stuff's interesting to me. It makes a better movie podcast maybe than a movie experience. Like if you got the family together and mom and dad and took them to see the zone of interest because it was a subtitled movie or something, I'm not sure that you're winning this one and that there's a lot to talk about at Din Tai Fung afterwards. But that's us in our like bougie, you know, it, it seemed like this movie has no issue with alienating the people who are like, this is boring which I definitely was. Without context, going into this movie, knowing nothing about it, I was like, I hate this movie. 
And it propelled me all the way through with enough interesting stuff that I was like, hurry up, let's talk about it. Can you please get back from your bougie film festival so we can talk about the serious business of this movie? Wow. Okay. Interesting. So you were down. You wanted to talk. You were like, you were ready. It's dangerous. I'm defying my fiance right now. She's going to be like, you liked that movie. You gave it an all right. The zone of interest. Are you kidding? Well, we should never get that from Amy since she won't see it. Exactly. That's why we can talk about the sneak and her snot hangups. Because boy, did she hate Triangle of Sadness. Yeah. So she's got poor things, Anatomy of a Fall and the Zone of Interest to look forward to in the year after Triangle of Sadness. But you give it an official all right? Yeah, it's a minefield out here this year. But I can see what they were trying to do. That all right is not based upon rewatchability. Fair enough. So that's an official all right from Wes and... (sighs) (laughs) Oh, man. I feel guilty even laughing at any part of this review. I don't know, dude. You're allowed. Really? Yep. Even though your ancestors are part of the Axis powers. I guess I'll go on record for all of history and posterity as good for the zone of interest. I'm saying you're allowed to give it a boring. Your permission does not not (laughs) pardon my sins, Wes. (laughs) And that's our discussion of the zone of interest. 818-835-0473 is where you... um, Come at us, bro. (laughs) Criticize us for our lack of sensitivities with regards to the zone of interest or whatever movies at gmail.com. I think you're right. This is a minefield. We've had some really challenging viewing experiences that keep us on our toes as reviewers and movie lovers here at Or What Are Movies, but we hope that you're enjoying. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic. Electric Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an electric cast production. Electric cast.